One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana The host asked me if I had a nickname Said my friends call me the Dirtbag King She said on the air I started giggling Hasn't had me back but now I've got this podcast Welcome to my podcast Hey, Dirtbags, thank you so much for tuning in to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. This is your host, Charles Ellsworth, and as usual, I am so grateful to have you here. I'm excited because I've got a great episode for you, a great interview with Brooke Pridemore. Brooke's a road dog, been doing tours for, for a number of years, and played together once when I first moved to New York City, and then we played together again recently, and I was just blown away by the, the change in performance style and, and energy, and it was just really good to see Brooke, who I've, I've been hearing their name for a very long long time and never really got to connect so it was cool to get to know Brooke on a more personal level and it was a great interview we have a lot of shared interests and a lot of shared experiences because of our time on the road and if you've been on the road you've toured DIY at all you probably enjoy this interview if you ever started getting bored with what you were creating or felt like you just kept doing the same thing and you wanted to change what you were making Brooke is a great example of someone who just decided to go a different direction on their recent record and it's really cool i think it paid dividends and and i'm excited to see where else it goes so stick around for the interview that's gonna be coming up shortly before we get to it as usual if you want to support the podcast the best way for you to do that is to go to patreon.com forward slash charles ellsworth that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash charles ellsworth there on Patreon, you can sign up to become a patron of mine where you contribute three, five dollars a month, whatever you decide you wouldn't miss at the end of the month. That goes towards making sure that I can make the podcast and I get to keep making music and being on the road. It's a great way to sort of kind of sponsor what I do and sponsor other artists and creators and help them continue to create. Sometimes being an independent artist means that your income can fluctuate quite a bit and you can go from making money every week when you're on tour to not making any at all and it can be weird to figure out those transitional periods and that's kind of where at least for me patreon has helped me kind of fill in the gaps and make a difference in being able to kind of restart my life when i get off tour or to just be able to keep things going when the money isn't coming in from an outside job and things like that so if you want to support the show support what i do go to patreon.com forward slash charles ellsworth find yourself a tier that speaks to you and that you think is going to be rewarding for you and also help me out and it's so much appreciated We've got a lot of really exciting stuff going on next year. I'll be sharing more next year about it here on the podcast, but if you want to find out about it, I just posted about it on Patreon. So become a patron and find out what that's all about. Thanks so much to patrons that already exist. You all are the best. If you're listening, I just want you to know how much your contribution each month means to me and how much your support means to me. I couldn't do this without you, and I can't thank you enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if right now you're going through kind of a situation where money's kind of tight and you're not able to sign up for Patreon, there's a great way you can support the show without having to spend any money at all. And the best way to do that is to go to the Apple Podcast app, look up A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road, and just leave us a rating, five-star rating if you think we deserve it, and leave us a review. That also makes even bigger difference and you don't have to go waxing poetic for pages and pages about why you love or hate the show just leave us a short little sentence of what you like about it or or what other listeners might like about it they might see that review and decide to listen to an episode and get hooked become a dirtbag become one of us one of us so 
please go to the Apple Podcast app, leave us a rating and a review. That makes a huge difference for us. If you're not listening on the Apple Podcast app, if you're listening on Spotify or Stitcher or anything else like that, just make sure you're subscribed to the show or you're following the show, whatever terminology they use. Those little things make a big difference. Go find that little button, click it, give us a follow, and that really helps us out. And finally, if you want to support, you can always listen to my music on whatever platform you listen to music on and make sure you're following us there and make sure that you add your favorite songs to a playlist because those are the things that are going to help get our music out to more and more people. Please, as always, tell just one person about the podcast or about my music this month. If everybody listening to this podcast would do that and tell someone else that they think would enjoy the show or my music about me, we'd be growing exponentially month by month and you know that would just make it it would just be awesome i'd love to build our community here our listeners have been building up steadily all year and it's been really cool to watch it go from being just a dozen or so two dozen listeners each episode to going up to higher than that And I mean, just to watch it grow, it's it's actually multiplied several times this year, and it's it's cool to see who likes what episodes and which episodes get a little bit more traction and whatnot. But yeah, make sure you're following us and you review us and tell your friends about us because it all makes a big difference for me. And lastly, I just want to say this time of year can be really difficult, and it can be, be depressing for some people. It can make you feel secluded and make you feel like it can just make you feel all kinds of bad things and and sometimes it's just because you're not getting enough sunlight or because you know the holidays just make you feel lonely and I totally understand that and I get that and I just want to let you know that I'm here there's probably countless people out there that care about you and love you and and want you to be around and want you to know that you were loved and so if you're struggling right now please just reach out to someone reach out to me if you think that I'm going to be able to help just make sure that someone knows that you're you're going through something because you don't need to go through it alone and this is what life's about it's about the connection you make with other human beings and the experiences you have together and so if you're struggling through something right now please just reach out because if we can't be here for one another then what are we doing here that's how i feel about it i love you thanks for listening to the podcast thanks for listening to me and enjoy this interview with my friend brooke pridemore and if you're in new york city don't forget to go to bar free to the 17th for the sick and twisted christmas party with Schaefer the dark lord christoph jesus of crazy in the brains and brooke pridemore it's gonna be a great night lots of great music don't miss it so, Brooke, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. I, I hope you're having a great day. How you been? I'm sure. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me. Um, just chilling here in my house. Just, nice. Uh, haven't been out yet today. That's all right. Yeah, that's. Uh, um, I had like an early thing to do today, but it's like one of three things I have to do today. So I'm already like, after this podcast, I'm like almost done with everything. <laughs> oh, awesome. I'd like to just start at the beginning kind of... Uh, you know, where where were you born? Where'd you grow up? I was born in Detroit, Michigan. I lived in um I lived in the city until I was about ten and then in the distant suburbs for for through high school. Actually there's a, a movie that just came out in tw- uh, October called Barbarian. Uh I don't know if you've I don't know if you're into horror at all, but um the main character rents an Airbnb in a really shitty, like a rundown part part of Detroit, and uh, that's that's my neighborhood. That's the neighborhood I lived in, and it blew my damn mind because nobody, uh, I've never heard the name of that neighborhood used in anything, like, any sort of like media or anything. Right? They just call it like, you know, everybody knows Eight Mile, and it's like the divide in Detroit was Eight Mile Road, but it was like this was five mile road um mm-hmm. 
nobody ever said Brightmore until I watched this movie. And it, it just was like, I was watching it with somebody and then I got really annoying after that. <laughs> That's funny. Just, to... Yeah. It, it's <laughs> just, it's good. I just like, Oh, it's really like that. That's not, they didn't do anything to that house, you know, like uh-huh. that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, in Detroit in general, and and you know, when you live in Oakland County, you kind of claim Detroit, or at least we mm-hmm. did. Detroit area was what we'd say. And, um, I moved out here after college. I moved out here a little over twenty years ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've been here in New York City for a little over twenty years. Yeah, and that that's been that was really wild. Um, that's been really wild because I sort of didn't think, you know, when I, when I came out here, I was like, I don't know. I didn't know I was ever going to get my feet under me living in this Mm -hmm. place, you know, get my, my feet on the ground. Um, this, this city does not necessarily want you to be here. Um, no, it doesn't. It does everything in its power to get you to decide to go move somewhere else where, you know, life is imagined to be easier or more convenient. Yeah, that's that's really the way it felt when I first got here. And um, so to have it now have been 20 years, like, I really feel like I was kind of, you know, now I don't know what else I would have done, but... Uh-huh. Uh, felt like I was guided here and guided through that first couple of years while I found my people, you know, while I found my homes. And well, that can always be difficult. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be difficult anywhere. You, I mean, when I've considered moving somewhere else, it's like, how am I going to find uh, my place? How am I going to find, you know, where I, where, you know, where I hang, where I eat, where I live, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always taken me a couple of years to kind of feel like I found my people or, or like figured out how I fit in a new city. Yeah. Well, where did you come here from? I moved here from Salt Lake city, Utah, but I grew up in a small town in Arizona and I went to school in Salt Lake. Oh, okay. So okay. when I moved to Salt Lake, when I was 19, it was or just a few weeks before I turned 19. It was kind of like, the big city to me you know and then i spent eight or so years there and then moved to new york i've been here for a little over eight years now okay crazy yeah um you know salt lake is i mean i've driven through rural utah i mean i haven't spent a lot of time in the the other cities but Mm -hmm. it definitely seems like you know it definitely seems like a like a metropolis you know it's the the clear memory I have on the road, on the the road to um, Salt Lake last time I went out there was um, I walked into a gas station and a guy walking out like blocked my way so he could read the print on my shirt, you know, like oh really? Give me a dirty look and then walk away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a very that sounds like a very Utah thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting place. I mean, I absolutely love it. And I have so many like people there in my life that means so much to me and, um, and everything. But you know, when I left, I had to, I had hit the point where I got, I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. So, 
it definitely wears you down eventually, unless you're from Utah, in which case you never leave. Well, my friends, uh, I had some friends that were in a band called Bombs and Beating Hearts. Okay. Uh, and I met them in 2006. They were like a folk punk band. And I mm-hmm. played with them. There was this house there in Salt Lake called the Boing Collective. And I think I played. Yeah, there I know the Boing house. Yeah, I, I played there four times. And, and like the the first time I I met those kids there, I mean, I'm still friends with them today. This is 17, 18 years ago. And uh, the first time I met those kids, I remember we were at one of their houses after the show and I pulled out a bottle of Manischewitz and I said, is it cool if I drink this? And they were like, oh, that's not like the one kid was like, yo, that's not mine. I don't know where that came from. Like was was worried. And um, and I was like, no, it's mine. I brought it in here. And they're like, oh, you better be careful carrying booze from out of state. Like there was this like, you know, they were punks and and yet like incredibly sheltered. Uh, really? Yeah. That's super interesting. And I mean, Utah's definitely changed a lot in the past, you know, 15 or so years and become less sheltered and more worldly, I guess you could say, but I could totally see that happening back then. It just yeah. surprises me that it, it, like an anarchist collective, like the Boeing house, uh, that was their reaction. And, and then, you know, the next time we went through, everything was, everything was normal. You know, everything was like, oh, these, you know, they were just our friends, you know, but it was like, uh-huh. it was like that, that first trip like that crew had like just broken out of um a super sheltered upbringing you know Uh, yeah they were like super closed off and then you know were like you know had had kind of had calmed down a lot um so that was the last the last of that awkwardness but now they're Mm -hmm. families but that was a that was a big one was like you know something as you know simple as like a two dollar bottle of uh you know kosher wine was scandalous like Uh like worrisome so um that said i've always had a really really great time i was just through there in 2019 and that's my one of my favorite places to visit yeah it's a it's a cool place i one time did find it funny because i was at a show at the boring house and uh, somebody I like was looking at like a book in the lib their little library there and someone's like make sure you put that back in alphabetical order and I just thought it was kind of funny because it was like an anarchist collective but sure, sure. <laughs> I know yeah. anarchy means you know is like the ideal version of like historical world anarchy is much more than just like no rules so but it was just kind of a funny little thing that i like to i probably told that story on this podcast before actually yeah um, it's, yeah it's, but, it's self-governance is and not not no governance but you know community governance and and so there's, so there's a difference there but it is also kind of funny because it's only ever in like it's only ever in an anarchist collective that like a house meeting has been called because we served we we served dinner before the the party game was over in the other room, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's a pretty funny, uh, it's a pretty funny thing to have, to have happen. 
Yeah, I mean, I think living with people, no matter what your ideologies are, is just going to still end up being living with people, you know, like there's just going to be just, I mean, it's kind of like the whole basis of like harm reduction and just like certain human behaviors just are going to exist forever. Right. Um, right. <laughs> but be- before we head down way too into into the, the inside baseball of anarchism and, and harm reduction, uh, which I'm a big proponent of, I would love to go back a little bit to, you know, growing up in Detroit and, you know, when did, like, what was life like then? What, what, when did your love for music start? Have you always been musical? Kind of, kind of paint that picture for me a little bit. Well, I, I, um, I can't remember a time when I, I didn't like music where music wasn't super important to me. Um, my my paternal grandmother um reminds me sometimes that you know i used to she used to babysit me a lot and uh i would be playing on the the living room floor while the the show the tv was on and i i never i never watched the show uh but i would get up at the commercial break and sing the jingles. I knew all the jingles. Okay. And, um, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I don't even know what any of them are now, but like, uh, so looking back on it, I guess that's, that's strange behavior, but looking back on it, like that's where the action was, was, you know, in the song, in a little song in the commercial. And I also clearly remember being at my other grandparents' house as a little kid and they, they muted the TV during the commercial breaks because they're like, we're not being sold to. It was something like we're not being sold to in our home. And when I, uh, remember being really up in arms at the time about that because I really liked the jingles, but, um, you know, that's more my, more my tune today. You know, like I, I, I try to find ways not to have to watch jingles. So yeah, um, not to have to be advertised to. Right. Right. I, I have really, you know, ornate boundaries with, with how I, uh, uh i'm i'm active on social media but i have really ornate boundaries with with how i will allow myself to be used online i won't let anybody tag me at a restaurant i hate that so much so like no i'm gonna tag us that we're um you know that we're having pad thai and i'm like i don't want the internet to know where i like to eat pad thai you know that's one of my weird things um but so you know, that's the earliest thing I can remember is, is loving me, loving the music and commercials at that age. And, and I remember, um, hearing Weird Al Yankovic when I was seven or eight and, you know, not really understanding that, 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 that was novelty music. I, I, you know, those are really well-crafted records, those Weird Al records, because they really, oh, totally. get, they really get as close to the source material as they can. Have you seen the biopic? Have you had the chance? I haven't yet. No, but I've been wanting to because it looks fantastic. It's it. You know, I I spent a lot of this year watching some really heady stuff. I watched the uh, uh, the the entire Tarkovsky filmography this summer and the entire Lars von Trier filmography. And 
and I'm this heady. <laughs> I'm currently like working my way through the Godard, uh, the the first French New Wave films of okay, are like the first fifteen of them, and and like the the Weird Al biopic is like the best movie I saw all year. Like like you know like it's so funny. I was I was like watching it by myself, and I was just like sob laughing at how funny it was. Um, That's. Dude, that's amazing to hear. Yeah. It's uh, especially as someone who spent way too much money or wasted way too much money on film school to, and have seen a lot of those movies in a very different setting, and then to say that the Weird Al movie is the best one you've seen all year is just uh, I love it. Chef's I, kiss. I, I should, I, <laughs> sir, I should go back and say it's the best movie from 2022 I saw this year. Like, oh, okay, you, you know, it's not better than you know, high and low or like breathless or something, but it's like, okay. it's really, really good. Um, it's, it, it, and as far as biopics go, it's really, really fun to see that kind of genre turned on its ear in the way they did. Um, I, I'm really excited to see it. Cause I, I've heard that it's kind of, it's, I mean, it was like, didn't weird Al decide, like, he was like, okay, I'll do a biopic, but I want to do all of it. Like he was like, super involved in writing it and if it's anything like uhf it's got to be hilarious but just absolutely bizarre um it, it's it's pretty satisfying it's it's a parody it's a parody of biopics oh my god yeah so <laughs> of course it is <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's so and and that's kind of you know that really became like being a fan of weird al became really like by the time I was 11 or so really like an albatross around my neck that I like liked that music uh that mm -hmm. by our standards you know this is 1990 1991 mm -hmm. um, that that by the standards of people my age that music was so old and so you know kiddy and I don't even think they use the word nerd I just like you know, had to learn kind of quick to, to, to tamp that down. And, and, and I had had, I remember my older cousins, uh, showing me the Beastie Boys, um, No Sleep Till Brooklyn video. And I, uh -huh. um, I was like, oh, that's great. And somehow I convinced my, my mom's at the age of like seven to buy me, the, the license to ill tape which is it is so cartoony in its own sense it's so such a silly record but mm -hmm. and then hearing me listen to it and being like scandalized that i'm listening to this you know this mean music uh and and so you know i i remember loving the way music made me feel in that time and in that era and and also just like thinking it was something I could never do, like thinking it specifically was something that I was never going to do um, because, you know, in the in the era, um, popular music was, well, it was pop metal, it was hair metal. And then and then the other side of it was, you know, gangster rap got, you know, meaner and meaner. Um, and neither 
neither style spoke to me. Now, you know, there was mm -hmm. plenty of underground music happening that might have been more my speed, but I know, you know, nobody was playing me a Minutemen record when I was five. Totally, yeah. Oh, you know, like my first CD was my first CD was CNC Music Factory, and then followed up by you know Weird Al, even worse. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, I'd get one CD here and there for a couple of years, and really didn't know what I wanted to be. And then um, I have a sister who's ten years younger than me, and you know, I don't know about anybody else's upbringing, but I was kind of the the de facto babysitter if they didn't you know if if our mother and her father didn't want you know didn't want her underfoot she'd be parked with me somewhere she's you know yeah. amazing but you know but that's just the existence of an older sibling yeah i've got several right. younger siblings so yeah, yeah i wasn't yeah. i wasn't always given babysitting duty but plenty of my life was spent babysitting <laughs> Yeah, I, I was not stoked on it at the time, and now she's great, you know. Totally. So it's great now that we have a good relationship. But um, so I was, you know, parked with her, and, and I, I clearly remember that it's the last time I ever watched Saturday morning cartoons, and I had not seen them in some time. And we're parked there in front of the TV, and, and Tiny Toons comes on, and it's it's an episode where they're spoofing um where they're spoofing a, an MTV like video show and mm -hmm. they get into the real spoof stuff but the first two videos they show are animated videos for a band called They Might Be Giants and oh yeah um and you know I get I get goosey when I think about it to this day because I was really like I heard music for the first time. And um, of course, you know, my friends already knew about them and had the Flood record, which was their new record at the time. It was a couple of years old, but it was like early 92. And mm -hmm. I was just like, I, I have to, this is something that can be for me. You know, this is something that I can do. Um I didn't know what that was going to look like, but I became like, you know, I, I, I have realized over, over the you know subsequent years that I'm an, still a nerd. I'm a nerd for this thing. You mm -hmm. know, my, uh, my, my, you know, that the nerdery didn't really change, but the focus of it did. And music became the thing that I was passionate about. And, um, it's very hard when you're 13, 14, and there's no internet to find out anything about a band that has not had any, that has had, you know, hits, but they're all like hits with asterisks. And so they were this really, uh, they were very like monolithic and and they were very elusive because I didn't know, you know, before the internet, it was wild to buy a tape and find out that the members of the band, there were only two guys in the band and they were both named John. And there were clearly two different guys singing. But if you didn't see a music video, you didn't know who was who. And, mm -hmm. and so I collected those first four albums over the course of, you know, over the course of that next year. And, um, and, and I was just like, you know, 
got super in tuned with that stuff. I, I scraped my money together and I bought all the, all the CD singles and, um, later that, I guess this was early 90, 1993, because by the end of the year, I was, you know, starting to become a guitar player and I became a guitar player because I wanted to be the singer in a band. And my friend said, you know, and I'm still kind of kind of in touch with this guy now. He's a radio personality in St. George, Utah. Is it St. Oh, uh, Lake George? St. George. St. George. Yeah. yeah. He's, yeah, he's got this show called Mikey and the Misses, and it's he and his wife. They're the morning radio hosts in, in St. George, Utah. They, you know, and like... I was like, I, you know, he was like, I'm getting a, set, a drum set for Christmas. And I, and I said, Oh shit, man, like let's start a band. And, and he was like, you don't play an instrument. And I said, well, I'll, I'll be the singer. And he was like, you're not ever going to be the singer in a band. And this is, you know, 13 year old kids. And he said, maybe you could be a guitar player and really? <laughs> I'll be a guitar player. And in my head, I was like, I'll be the guitar player and the singer. And I convinced my dad to buy me a guitar and and I never looked back and my um he moved away but you know before we could ever start a band and I started some bands and you know I was in you know they were high school bands they seemed really dramatic at the time when those bands broke up but um, totally. they were just high school bands and I um you know by by the first year of college, I was just like, I don't think I want to play in a band anymore. I just want to play solo acoustic music. And, and I ended up in another band, but basically my, my bands all became, you know, Brooke Pride more and the, you know, my current, uh-huh. my current band that we put together to make, um, to, to represent my new record is called Brooke Pride Moore's ATM, but it's always been, you know, Brooke Pride more in the Valley Cubs or uh, Brooke Pride more in the Shoplifters. My band in college always had a lot of different names. Like we'd have a, we had a different name for every show. Uh, Brooke Pride more Strike Breakers Union, Brooke Pride more and the West Memphis Three. You know, like it'd always be. There's a lot of names that we use that I'm really glad didn't stick. Um, uh huh. Yeah. Because you really, I I drove through West Memphis in early 2020 and i was like oh i should never have attached my name to either this town or the things that you know got this town that name got that group of people that name um yeah totally so but you know 20 maybe you don't really know (laughs) like yeah for sure i mean i i did plenty of things when i was 20 that i didn't know Yeah, that I, I would not do now or I would cringe at now. So I think that's that's a sign that you've grown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I was in college and, and you know, in the the scene that I was around, you know, Kalamazoo, Michigan is, it, it's like a city that was once really big because it was midway it's midway between Detroit and Chicago because so it was like kind of a stop off for people as they were traveling and there were a couple mm-hmm. of industries there and you know my college is kind of big and there's a private college there and there's there's stuff going on um but it had kind of shrunk over time and so um it was 
kind of run down in the way, but the, the scene that I was able to find in, in Kalamazoo was either, either open mics where the guys, you know, everybody that played the open mic, like just wanted to do the best Dave Matthews band cover uh-huh. you could ever hear. Like there were guys that only did Dave Matthews songs at open mics. And uh, like, this is the mid nineties. This is the late nineties. Yeah. Late nineties. Yeah. yeah that, made, that sounds right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then the other side of it was bands that were for the most part, like jam, like if not outright jam bands, they were like jam adjacent, you know? And then every once in a while, I'd get the chance to see, you know, like a hardcore band, like a weird ass hardcore band. It, it, it was a, it was a strange scene, but you know, I chose the open mic scene and, you know, I really thought I was king shit on turd mountain on the open mic scene. Cause I was the only, you know, there were two of us that were writing our own songs, you know, me and, uh, and my buddy, my friend. And I, I thought, you know, at the time that I was a better songwriter than him. And, uh, I still do, but I still do think I was, um, but you know, we were the two people writing songs. I, it's, you know, at the time, looking back at it at the time, considering myself better than him was like, um, well, I came in next to last in the marathon, but you came in last. So I did better, you know, it's like, who gives a shit, you know, like, Totally. You know, so it's like, again, it was super dramatic at the time. Um, And, you know, now it's just like, well, now it's more like a river, you know, where it's more like all water. Um, Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's competitiveness tends to be, at least in my experience, like a younger man's game. Like I was way more competitive towards my peers and other songwriters when I was starting out than I am now. Now I try and just find what I like about things. Um, and, and like, and I'm competitive with myself and the things that I create, but like I'm playing with a new group of guys and I, and my whole thing with it is like, uh, there's certain Hills that I'll die on, I guess, when we're songwriting, but mostly it's just like, I'm just trying to have fun, you know, like I don't, I'm not, I'm not here to get my ego bruised or anybody else's. I'm I'm here to have fun. And if that band makes music that people like and, and gains an audience, that's great. But, but, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not here to be in competition with every other psych rock band in Brooklyn. That sounds like a real recipe for being disappointed. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, my, my friend recently, uh, a friend of mine recently was asking me about uh, a local band that he doesn't know. And I don't really know either, but I know the drummer and mm-hmm. um, the, the band is the band in mention is getting a lot of success. And um, my friend was like, are, I don't know them. Are they good? And I was like, yeah, they're good. They're fun. They're, they're a good band. They're fun. Um, you know, they also happen to be, you know, all cute femmes. And and I think my friend's impression might have been, 
my friend then said, I'm never going to get famous, am I? And I was like, well, you know, you can do well and they can do well. And totally, not, you know, neither, you know, neither band doing well is it's not like there's only enough good to have, like, you know, success is infinite, you know, and it just depends on how you measure it. Like, you know, I, I'm probably not going to be on MTV, but nobody else is ever going to be on MTV either. Cause there's no MTV anymore. And there hasn't. Been. Yeah, totally. You know, well, and and when they do show videos, it's really fucking, you know, I don't know what any of that stuff is and it's not for me, but I, do get to go out and play shows and and there's you you know, almost always you know some audience there that are happy to see me and there's a precedent to my earlier you know to my to my work and they know why I'm there and they're happy for it and and mm -hmm. so you know okay so this band that you know this band is selling out rooms but you know I've had this long ass career career now and uh -huh. yeah there's ups and downs in it um totally well and i mean it's like when your friend's like i'm never going to be famous am i i'm like i'm like well depends on also what you consider to be famous like i was doing a carpentry job in Times square for like the entire month of october and you know you see they still advertise musical artists in Times square and you and you know, none of the ones that are have, none of them look like me or are my age, uh, you know, <clears throat> and it's like, yeah, I'm not going to get famous by a, a major label putting a bunch of money into my face being all over Times Square. That's not, that's definitely not going to be my route to fame. Um, it's going to have to be more like by uh, being on the road, writing great music, putting on great shows. and. And also, am I even pursuing that type of quote unquote fame? Like, I don't think I am. Yeah, that's, that's the thing is, is I don't ever remember saying I want to play to stadiums. I, I just was like, I saw Jonathan Richmond at some point in like 1999. And I went like, that's the thing that I want. I, you know, Jonathan, when he plays a show, it sells out and he plays shows where he knows he can, you know, he plays the venues that are the right size for him, which is usually a couple hundred people and mm -hmm. they sell out and he comes out and he does whatever he wants and whatever he wants is satisfying because when you go see an artist like Jonathan with a big catalog like that, you can't really go in and go, you know, if he doesn't do since she started to ride, I'm going to be disappointed. You got to go like Jonathan's going to come in here and play for 90 minutes. And we're all going to leave with the biggest grins in our lives. And we're all going to be so happy. We made this drive and came to this show. And totally. And that's the way it is. And that's what I, I wanted when I was, you know, that's what I wanted when I saw it the first time. And, and, and that's, that's what I'm looking for. You know, like that's, that, that would be ideal for me. And I have to some degree, something like that kind of, and, uh, and more importantly, you know, from where I'm standing, I'm, I'm making, I'm making music that breaks new ground for me every time I make something.
And yeah, I, I actually just before the last few weeks didn't uh, didn't have a like didn't have a, a place to hang this this idea. But there's this there's this thing that I see in other artists where and specifically in the big time where mm -hmm. this art where an artist has clearly stopped reaching and they're just making an album so they can go on tour and the songs don't mean anything and people still you know it 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 happened one of the quickest ones i've ever seen was it happened with oasis oasis made two great albums and then they followed it up with a third album that was dull and mm -hmm. and within two years of that third album you know suddenly they were the opening act for the black crows like it happened it happened overnight it happened as quick as their rise did and and that really uh like even if i'm the only person ground zero only person that ever hears anything i make i always want to to be reaching and so when i've taken long breaks from touring it's been you know, or making records, it's been like, I'm not sure I have anything to say right now. And um, I didn't have a, uh, I didn't have any like frame of reference for like what I was actually looking for until I started watching the, the, the 60s era Godard films a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago. And it's like, it's clear when you watch him, he's growing with every film. And I don't know, over a 60 year career, what that'll look like in the end. But, um, you know, it's clear to see like breathless happens. And then the, the little soldier, you know, it's clear that he learned from each one, you know, and I, and I, I find totally. that, I find that fascinating. And so when my friend tried to sell me, you know, the bodega, uh, Ben from bodega produced my new record and he, um, the whole time we've known each other, he's been pushing me to check out these Godard films. And, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know, you know, France, whatever. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, maybe I'll get to that. I'm going to do this other stuff. And then time is so funny because I found myself receptive and I, I sat down and watched him and he's a filmmaker. And, and he often talked to me about in his films and in his, in his band's work, how that was their, he was their primary inspiration. Um, you know, it's just because everything, you know, everything has multiple meanings and, and I didn't get it. And then I started watching these movies and I'm like, Oh, I get it. And the thing that's really, you know, the, the, the thing that everybody kept saying was the plot doesn't matter in those films. And I was like, that doesn't turn me on. And then I, I, I'm like, I'm watching them and going, Oh, the plot doesn't matter. It's, it's how the shots are built. It's how, you know, it's looking for the deeper meaning beneath everything. And it's, it's totally opened this whole thing for me. Uh-huh. I feel like we're well, having that, a film talk podcast here. No, that's great. I mean, uh, I'm sure some of my listeners are old friends from film school. So, oh, cool. uh, yeah. um, but that, I mean, that was something I, I wanted to get into, um, is, is from like, I mean, you and I played a show together. I want to say it was fairly early on when I had moved to New York. So this would have been anywhere between five and eight years ago. And then we just played a show together a few weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, at Franz Nikolai's uh, album release. And I just saw like just this amazing difference in, in the performer you were, uh, the, the, 
the music you were making and performing, the methods from which I think the last time I saw you play, I imagine you were, if I, if I remember right, and it was a long time ago, but you were mostly playing guitar and singing. You might've been doing some form of looping, but like this time around, you didn't even have a guitar the whole set. You you did, yeah. I, don't, I don't what I, I just like, please talk to me more about that. Cause I was like, I, I loved your new set. It blew, like, it really blew my mind. I didn't know what to expect seeing you after all these years. And then I saw it and I was like, this is a lot of fun. It's self-aware. It's like you, some of the lines that like uh, some of the lyrics that I heard, I was like, man, that's a great line. Like it, it was just really fun and really cool. And I'd love to talk or have, have you kind of shed some light on, on where that's all come from, what that, that uh, evolution has been. Cause it, it really, it, I don't know. It was really cool. Well, I, so I, I, I should start, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of explaining to do. Yeah. I guess the thing that has been funny for me is I don't tell anybody that I'm not going to bring a guitar and like uh, the average, when I'm traveling, like the typical night is mostly sampler and then a couple songs on guitar. And then that's like when I consider that almost like headlining shows, even if I don't play last, like where I'm the act on tour and that's the reason for the show. And then mm -hmm. I'm like in a, what I consider like a support slot for the Franz show or really anything local. Um, I'm, I'm not going to bring my guitar. I'm just going to do the sampler set. And so um, when I, so first of all, my last record was called metal is my only friend. And uh I, when I made that record, I was very much in a, in a not trusting headspace. And I, I, my friend Vin, uh, engineered the record and I picked him because I was like, I, it, it's really important that I get sound capture on this, for this record. I don't need a producer. I need somebody to, to, to pick up the sound of my instruments and and I played almost every instrument on that record myself and and I I had gotten tired of working with um producers and other musicians who didn't know the songs in and out and it was uh -huh. happened on all my prior records and so my my last record was like reactionary to the sort of disappointment uh, the vague disappointment I felt with the the final product on all the other records all those other records are good they have their moments and i i wanted to try something different and i did and it succeeded and in 2019 i was uh i started recording another record in the same manner that i didn't like i didn't like mm -hmm. like some of the songs um i didn't like the record and I got on that tour where I was in, in Utah and I had this real crisis of existence and I called Mikey Erg and I called Jay Nixon who were playing live with me at the time. And I said, Hey, I, I've got to, I got to bring you guys in to play on this record. And we did these sessions where Mike played the drums and Jay played the bass and I still have those sessions. And then my last tour before the pandemic happened and I was kind of in the back of my head going like, these sessions kind of suck. Like it's nobody's fault, but there's the record mm -hmm. feels lifeless to me. It's not Vin's fault. It's it's not Mike and Jay. It's not even my fault. And I'm on this last tour, and I'm like, 
I don't know what to do because I, I can keep, I was like, I can keep traveling and playing guitar and, um, you know, I'll, I'm sure I'll sell records and I'm sure I'll, people will keep booking me, but I'm not very happy and I'm, I'm, I'm not very satisfied creatively. And, um, and I, you know, sometimes the God and the universe and whatever else, it's a funny turn. And the day after that tour ended, the coronavirus pandemic happened and suddenly I couldn't tour for two years. And uh -huh. I got home and sitting there in my house alone. Um, I sat in the living room and uh, at about like clockwork at about three o'clock in the morning, most nights I would find myself with my guitar and writing. And, and, and I, in that couple of months, I wrote all but, all but two of the songs on glad to be alive. I glad to be alive. And Charlie Watts are from the earlier session. They're re-recorded songs from the earlier batch of songs. Um, mm -hmm. The other 13 songs on the record were all written in this really flush, creatively flush period at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. And, um, and I, so, you know, it's another one of those things. Like I had made friends with, I had been a Bodega fan for a long time and, and I had accepted the invitation to start going over to Ben's and watch football. And um, we had become close friends and, you know, I couldn't tour, they couldn't tour. And he hit me up and said, I, I want to learn how to record. Do you want to come over and record some songs and I think we probably just expected an acoustic session like a one little guitar thing and then that suddenly over the course of the year became um we spent I think 12 days together in February and March of 2021 recording the glad to be alive record and so you know it was just he and I in his apartment and he and I and his partner Nikki um, Nikki sings a little on the record and, and our friend Tim race, um, from big bliss plays the tiniest bit of bass at the end of the record. He plays, uh, on Charlie Watts. And, um, other than that, Ben and I played everything together and, you know, we made this record and while I'm making this record, I'm like, boy, I'm going to go out and tour these songs and I'm going to put this record out, even if a label doesn't pick it up and I put it out myself, but I, and I don't know how I'm going to present these songs live because it seemed like a disservice to the arrangements that we made in the studio for me to go out every day and, and play guitar song versions of those songs. I can do that, but uh -huh. I, don't, I, I don't like to because they, they, they belie the arrangements that Ben and I came up with, you know, really that Ben came up with, but, um, you know, they belie the, the studio versions of the song, which I think are the, the definitive versions of the song. So I I bought a 404 and, you know, I, I, I bet you might have had a thought like this yourself over the years. But I was like, for years, I was like, I will never use electronics. I will never be an electronic act. I will never blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and... And it's yeah, like, the amount of shit I talked on DJs and electronic artists and loopers and things like that in my twenties is funny because right. it's all the stuff that I'm like, like I'm, 
I'm buying a synthesizer next week because I'm just like, ooh, I want to try something new, you know? <laughs> my 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 grandmother sent me a check right about a month before we started those sessions. And she was like, I want you to do something fun with this. Don't pay off a credit card or, or something responsible. So I bought myself a Nicolas Cage tracksuit and um, uh, I bought an OP1, the Teenage Engineering keyboard, the OP1. Uh-huh. And I was like, all right, I might have just wasted $1,100 on this toy, but I'm going to find out. And then, you know, it turns out it's really it's really user-friendly and really easy to use. And it's really satisfying in this way that I had been looking for for a long time. So I bought this. That's sample. cool. I bought this sampler to make uh, to make performing those songs possible. And for a minute, I was like, well, maybe I can play guitar to samples or maybe I can play, you know, maybe I can figure out a way so it's not just me standing there. And then I, I realized over time that if I'm really going to do this sampler thing, I'm I've got to really do it 100 percent like it's got to be and. And, and and the sweet spot for me is, um, well, first of all, I learned the first night I used it that uh, if you're if you're really going to stand there and sing over samples, like you got to move around a lot. Like, so I'm suddenly uh -huh. I'm, I'm the age that I am and I'm doing calisthenics, basically doing calisthenics <laughs> for, for 40 minutes a night, you know, where mm -hmm. I was, you know, I'm suddenly getting all this extra exercise which is, you know, really fun and really funny. And the first couple of times I did it, I like could barely walk after. And, <laughs> and still to this day, if to, even now a year later, uh, if there are acts on after me, like I stay in the room, but I, I sit down, like, I'm like, uh -huh. I'm going to go chill. I'll be back there, but I'm going to watch, you know? And so, um, but uh, so basically, like the the sampler thing was in service of these songs, which are very you've heard now. Well, now you've heard a lot of the record is very beat happy and very um, it's very rhythm driven in a way that mm -hmm. like, the earlier stuff wasn't necessarily rhythm driven. And so moving forward, you know, it. it Moving forward, the neat thing was for me sitting there watching Ben recording me. I was like, oh, he doesn't know shit. I don't think studio engineers gatekeep studio engineering, but I was never told what was going on when people were recording me before. I was never. Yeah, if you don't if you don't ask or if you don't come prepared with that knowledge it's just kind of completely out of your hands and it took right. me a long time to like feel comfortable with like asking or like like speaking up when it's like i don't like how that sounds i you know yeah. what you were saying about your previous records not having life or like those sessions um oh my god i could i i relate to that so hard so much you know and i i want to let you get back to the story but like yeah i just yeah like um engineers it, it is a pro like you have to be the the artist that says like no i this is what i want that's i don't want that you you know what i mean you have to know what you want or else or they're they'll just gonna, they're just going to make it sound how they think it's supposed to sound 
Right. And, you know, you have to be careful with that stuff. Cause I, I, I made a couple of records in the mid aughts with a, with a guy who had a great studio and he was a re- he was a pretty nice guy, but he was older than us. He was an eighties guy. And mm-hmm. he, he made, um, you know, for him, 80s the 80s sound was the best sound and we would go i said once can you get an accordion player and he was like we don't need an accordion player i've got a patch on my synthesizer it's better than an accordion because it's perfectly sampled and you couldn't explain to the guy that no i want the wheeze of an accordion on this record you know yeah get mad and yeah because to him that sounds bad right he's not wrong but when i you know and then the second record i brought in an accordion player and i i I played ukulele on it and i played you know baritone guitar and and uh i had there's an omnichord on that record and and it was really like reactionary to him wanting to use all these synthesizers (laughs) in the prior record it's really funny how you know snarky (laughs) how like how vindictive i can be about stuff but oh my whole solo career has been is fueled and born out of spite right so you know the whole reactionary thing but you know (laughs) when we went into that second record i was like he was like well what do you want your guitar to sound like and and i played him a mountain goats record i played him you know the sunset tree and he was like, oh, okay, you want your guitar to sound bad. I can make your guitar <laughs> bad. And it was, oh my God. And was, I don't, what I want is for my guitar to sound like a guitar. I don't want it to sound like an army of guitars. I, I want it yeah. to sound, you know, austere is the word I would use today. You know, I, where totally. Is, hum- well, some things have to have that humility, like that, or if it's too clean, it just doesn't make sense, especially genre to genre. It's like certain stuff. If it is, if it comes in shimmering and shining and perfect, like that's how you want it to sound. But other stuff, like, but once again, like we're not the people that they're selling on billboards in Times Square. You know, it's not. It's not necessarily like the cleanliness of of presentation that we're going for it's it's there's a specific vision yeah yeah that's exactly right um so you know i sat there watching ben record you know and ben and i recorded in in their bedroom and ben had a two channel interface the one that everybody makes fun of in the memes and um you know, a couple of good mics and everything went straight into the system and mm-hmm. we just made it sound good. And he was just twisting knobs until it sounded the way he wanted to. And he spent, he was a lot more meticulous with how things need to sound. Um, and I, a few times was like, you're kind of overdoing this, <laughs> um, but okay, I'm following you. And, uh, but watching him, I was like, that's just $150, you know, it's the, it's the one everybody makes fun of, but I just bought one of those. I just bought one of those yeah. in an SM7B, uh, and 
you know, so far, most of the beats I've built, I, I'm now, I just mean to say that I'm like, this guy can record me, then I can record myself. And, um, and so that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, now I'm recording myself. Now I've spent the last year on, uh, on tour. I mean, I toured, I think about three months or a little over three months this year. And, uh, yeah, this is my first uh 100 gig year in a lot of in a long time, like since before the pandemic. Um and it's pretty great. Um and I've been going around doing this um doing this, you know, new style and you know, I I really was like the first time I plugged it in, I was like there I mean they're going to call me a cheese dick. I mean, they really are going <laughs> to, they're going to drag me across the, the board for this. And uh-huh. I, I like deliberately the first show I used it at was, uh, with yuck mouth, um, in Philly who we, uh, between metal is my only friend and the new one. I had my metal record come out, which was a split with this band called yuck mouth. And so like I played a metal show, in philly and and was like okay using the sampler for the first time like fuck it and like that those are that takes balls in philly at a metal show you have to you have to um i mean totally philadelphia is the kind of place where there doesn't even have to be music playing and people mosh you know like yeah um, totally (laughs) like you know it's it's a fight fight crowd and you know i but I was among friends. It wasn't like a random metal audience. I knew everybody in the room. Yeah, totally. And so the the response to the sampler thing has been overwhelmingly positive. You know, maybe like the faintly damning praise will be something like, you sure seem to be having a lot of fun. Um, you know, yeah. and then maybe, maybe two or three people have been like, I don't like that. You know, somebody told me I, if I was a fan and I came to see you and you did that, I would be very disappointed. And I, I really just think in, in most cases where people are like, I don't know that I, um, that it's just initial reaction. And I think there's an interesting thing that's happened is I've kind of made people start talking about my act again, because now with this last tour that I was on, I was like, okay, there's no rules. You know, most nights I'm probably going to do sampler and guitar, but I'm not necessarily going to do sampler and guitar every night. And Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm going to walk in and and there's been a couple nights where I'm like, this is just a guitar night. I'm just going to play some guitar songs here and I'm going to do the, and, and, you know, when I do that, it's, it's awesome because I don't do that every night. You know, and I think if I cordon myself into doing one thing, you know, I figured out a way to not have to do exactly the same thing every night. I looked at the Harry Styles set list. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that I don't understand. And and, and if and if there's ever a moment where I'm like, no, it's the children who are wrong here. here <laughs> Harry Styles played 25 nights at Madison Square Garden, right? Every one of them was sold out. I looked at the set list. He does exactly the same set list every night. Every All 25 single, nights. 
every single night he does exactly the same set list. Well, then why would anybody ever go to two of the those shows? I know people that went to ten of the shows. Oh my God, I, uh, um, damn, that's that's disappointing, because uh, I've luckily like recently had the chance to work with some bands that are much more financially successful and popular than I've ever been or I've ever been around. And when they do multiple night things, they're always playing different sets. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, I, I know he's English, but I, I think, I think it's really, I think it's really a California thing. Um, it's a really California thing to have because the Melvins, if you go see the Melvins, the Melvins have a set that they do every night for the tour. And um, I saw Sparks earlier this year and I, I love Sparks. One of my favorite bands. I've seen them a couple times. They're great. And they, you know, they very much, I looked up their set list and it was identical night to night. There was, there, you know, so it's just like this tour, we're playing angst in my pants every night. You know, this uh -huh. tour we're playing, you know, and I just go like, I, I don't know where the joy for the artist is in that, but I think that there's a, you know, the joy might come from being, being as tight and professional sounding as possible. And, um, one of the things that I've been trying to avoid by doing this thing with my sampler is, um, even in this really strict, you know, cause once I trigger the song, I've got no way to, I've got no way to go back eat unless I stop it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so and there's no way to fast forward or rewind on that thing. It's just go. And so that's kind of led me to like, that's how I'm producing the new songs that I write. And that's how I'm, you know, so I have a growing catalog and I'm going back and re-recording old songs um, like to have to do at shows. And also I'm like working on an album of old songs in this style that I'm in right now. But I've been oh, even, nice. even as somebody that's so that that's like got such a strict obstruction as relying on just the track coming through the thing. Um, I, I have to keep it fresh. I have to keep it fresh for myself and I have to keep it fresh for the audience. If somebody sees me two nights in a row, you know, they, uh, they aren't going to hear exactly the same set. So, you know, I, I'm like, I've got to keep growing. I hate, I hate watching when people have stopped growing. That's no, I, I think that's, that. dude, I think that's super noble and really, really cool and i i'm uh i'm an admirable i i think it's i don't know i it's something that i've entertained doing lately or kind of pursuing things differently even recording myself like I, i've been even wanting to be like well you know if i'm just gonna make like a an acoustic folk record why don't i just do most of that on my own i have all the gear i could i could do it the only thing i really feel like i need is like someone who quote unquote knows more than me right. um like to to hit record you know um 
so it's it's something that I, I've definitely been entertaining a lot. And I mean, I would love to touch a little bit on, I mean, it sounds to me like, you know, you come from Detroit, very, very blue collar town. Some of the things that you've said about you in the past make me feel like uh, there's like, I mean, it's and my experience is similar is that like, there was this this idea of who you are and in terms of like your place in the world and, and you as an artist and you as a person and you as, um, I don't know, just like where you're from that maybe was resistant to changing these styles or changing, you know, like trying something new. Um, it's like sometimes you play music with dudes that all they want to do is play things that sound dark and spooky because they think that it's like somehow like, like i don't even know what the word is without sounding super close-minded but like like say playing a song in a major key is like somehow beneath them or too sensitive um am well, i making any sort of sense <laughs> yes yes you sure are um it's funny uh you know the 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 metal thing with me was it's a super recent, still super recent conversion where I discovered metal only about seven years ago um, mm -hmm. when I just thought it was music that was never going to be for me. And that's because um, some of the biggest bullies in my high school, uh, you know, did the bullying in, in Sepulterra shirts or white zombie shirts. Uh -huh. And like, not even the metal that they liked was, you know, pretty tame compared to, you know, everybody I ever met was like, you know, wow, like, I don't want any part of this, you know, it's like, you got one thing you can do. Um, mm -hmm. And I, so only recently have I gotten into that stuff and started exploring the genre. And um, I went to high school with, uh, the guys from the Black Dahlia murder. I only knew Trevor a little bit, um, not well, but they were like, mm -hmm. whenever bands talk about, you know, who are, whenever, you know, publications talk about who are, who are the new big four of metal, the Black Dahlia murder is always one that comes up because they're, they uh -huh. were huge. And, um, you know, everything, you know, you listen to that music and it seems impenetrable. If you don't know what this, the modes are, it seems, you know, it seems like you're just listening to a wall. And then it's like, yeah, once totally. in, you know, I bring up the Black Dahlia murder because, you know, I, I knew Trevor a little bit back in Michigan. And then we ran into each other a few months before he died last year at the, the pig destroyer show. And, mm -hmm. uh, and he, uh, everything I've ever heard about him was he, he talked to fans for hours after shows and he, um, you know, he'd talk about Weezer and he'd talk about, you know, folk punk and he'd talk about all this crazy shit that he loved. And mm -hmm. he, uh, you know, he had all these other things that he liked. And then he was in this, this kind of, you know, very stylized, very codified band. And one of the things the reason I bring it all up is one of the things that's super attractive to me about metal is like, I go see it, you go see a death metal band and you know, the guys, 
the drummer will be sitting there practicing on a drum pad so he can play fast enough to play the music. And you've got mm -hmm. these guys that put like all of their time and creative energy into playing death metal, which, uh -huh. you know, which eschews for them that, you know, it, it closes the door for them for the chance to play any other style of music. So they've got this mm -hmm. one thing that they can do. It's like being a really good uh, kicker on a football team. Kicker can't do anything else but kick. You yeah. Know? Like the guy's just got one really strong leg and can just whip the ball all the way down. Um, and so it's one, of, it's, it's pretty funny. Uh, it's a pretty funny thing to witness. And it's also pretty cathartic to see, you know, bands do this one thing incredibly well. Um, totally. And when it's done right, it's done incredibly well. It can also be done poorly. So, um, you know, it's never been, that's never been the pursuit that I'm able to, uh, that I'm able to, to go after. I, I've never, you know, I have a noise project. I have a noise album that's just about to come out uh, on top of my new Brook Pride More record. And, Cool. You know, I made my metal record and I made my, uh, you know, I, I, my last record was like supposed to sound like smog and swans at the same time. And I feel like I succeeded in that. And, Hell yeah. um, you know, so I, I've, I've gotten the chance to touch on all these different modes on all these different, you know, styles and never really like wet my beak with them and not, but not light there so long that it gets stagnant and I've gotten the chance to continue growing. And like, I didn't realize until only very recently that, you know, I I've, it's not even a matter of turning your back on turning your back on the style of the last thing, but it's like you, that you make the thing and then you build from that and make the next thing. Does that land? Yeah, totally. That's, um, that's, uh, exactly how I feel about it, you know, and um, it, I, I feel like when I first started out, people were expecting me to just make folk records, and I've done everything in my power to not make a folk records since I started feeling those expectations, um, and then now I'm like, you know, kind of budgetary, and just to like challenge myself in a different way, I'm like, oh, maybe I want to go back, because I've learned all this stuff in the pursuit of like I've learned how to like play electric guitar way better than I like ever thought I'd be capable of. Um, you know, uh, I always thought I was just a dude who played guitar as a vehicle to get songs out. And, and so like, I've just become such a more well-rounded musician. And now I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll step back to this other, other style that I used to do and try and bring a different, a different approach or different knowledge to it. And I think that's what I love about, the pursuit of music in general is that it's it's like a it's a practice is in as much as a spiritual practice is a practice or yoga or meditation and that you're never going to be you can never get to like you're never going to beat it it's not you know like it's not like some video game that you can just like beat you just keep getting better or learning more or more diverse and i mean i love that about playing guitar and about music and um and then if you can apply that to like being a human being, which kind of sounds really, um, I don't know. I don't want it to sound too gaudy, but you know, like you apply it to like living your life and it, it's, I don't know. It's just a, 
it's a much more freeing way to exist, I feel like. Right. There's a lot of gray area in life and there's a lot of gray area in artistry. And I think, you know, you just, as long as you keep searching, you'll keep making something. You keep I, making something compelling. That's, that's my I, suggestion. I agree. Totally. I, I totally agree. I, uh, um, I think this is, this has been a really cool talk, Brooke. I've, I've enjoyed it. I enjoy your perspective on creating art and how you've pursued your, your craft throughout the years. I'd love for you to touch a little bit on, you know, before we wrap things up a little bit on um, your relationship with being on the road, you know, pre 2020, I feel like you were someone like me and, and like Brian McPherson and people that I know that just like, have just spent years and years just like on the road playing to whoever would have you and, and just trying to make it work. I'd love to have you touch a little bit on your relationship with it as it started out and how it's changed throughout the years and what you love about it, what you dislike about it. Well, like um, specifically this year, I'm like, you know, after all these years out and about, I, I got to a point where it's like, you know, my thing used to be like, you know, we got to, you know, one time I took a day off in Salt Lake and I like went to the Salt Lake and I went to the temple, you know, to see the stuff, you know, and I, I really was really into seeing specific sites in places. You know, there was one day where we got into Oklahoma City super early for whatever reason. And I I was like, I'm not just sitting here. I'm going to take the car and I'm going to go see the bombing memorial. And mm-hmm. like, I don't care. I don't care that it's, you know, like, I don't care if it's up. I just, I'm going to go see it, you know? And then the uh-huh. other cats came with me and we went and saw it and like, and you know, and it was great. And I, I do you know, when I'm in my, you know, when I'm in a place like Miami, I'm like, I got to get to the water while I'm in Miami. And when I'm in a place like, you know, wherever else, you know, I try, I do try to see stuff, but you know, my relationship with the road a lot more often now is like, okay, I, 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 I want to chill. <laughs> like the show, you know, the show is the show. Uh huh. And thankfully, as I've gotten a little older, there's a lot less uh there's a lot less bickering about you know who gets to who gets to stay where you know who gets the couch who gets the floor um or you know like where are we go you know and i i've made it pretty clear now like i'm not really into finishing the show and going to a party i'm like into finishing the show and going and chilling with a couple of people but like chill uh-huh. is weird, you know chill is the word that's where we're at and so um you know i'm i'm much less uh into looking for crazy times and then just sort of saving that energy for for being on the stage which makes might make me sound kind of boring but um i just you know i wasn't having a lot of fun partying like i wasn't having a lot of fun pursuing People use the word hedonism and I, I, you know, I don't like that word. When I hear it, I kind of, I kind of want to step away because that's not why I'm touring. I, I, I'm not against pleasure 
Uh, I'm not against joy and I have a lot of joy in my life, but like mm -hmm. when people use the word hedonism, that tends to mean, oh, drinking and doing Coke until nine in the morning, which is not a problem, yeah. uh, which is not, you know, the tw times in my life when I was doing that stuff are not happy times. And so, you know, in the pursuit of happiness, in the pursuit of joy and pleasure, like, you know, the word chill is really prevalent for me. Does that uh -huh. Yeah. And yeah. so, no, I think that's, that's great. Or sorry, I keep going. And I don't like being in traffic. So I tend to drive through the night. I like to arrive at, you know, seven in the morning and sleep till one and then wake up and, uh, hang out and whatever hang out means. If it means, you know, doing computer work or, you know, strumming a guitar in a corner until it's time to go to the show, finding a place that I can chill until it's mm -hmm. show. You know, that's my, that's my thing. That's my shit. Um, and like, and so I, you know, I, I really pursue that stuff. Now that's not to say, you know, I don't prefer certain places over others. You know, there's places where I'm like, okay, I know, I know this place is going to be really small, but they're going to be really nice. I know this place is going to be, you know, this place is going to be sort of unthankful, but they're going to hand me a big pile of money at the end of the night. And I need that show too. And there's some shows where I'm like, uh -huh. this rage that they're going to rage for me. And I, that, and I like that. So, you know, totally. and, and like there are regions I try to have a, I try to have a thing, you know, we had this dream when, when we were in the early years, we had this, I don't think it was my dream, but I had a, uh, one of the guys I used to tour with had this dream of booking a tour that didn't include Texas. And, uh, <laughs> uh I fucking love Texas. But I just figured it out on this last tour. When I rolled into Denton, I was like, holy cow, I'm in Texas. And I am very much in Texas. And just, you know, ate a shitload of barbecue and acted kind of vaguely crazy. And, you know, the 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 sky is big and beautiful out there. And, like, you really feel a certain way. And the first three days I was in Texas were awesome. And then the last day I was like, get me out of Texas. And it wasn't because, you know, Houston's not a good place or anything. It was just, it's, I've, my Texas time is up. I've got to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. else. You know what I mean? Totally. So, you know, and so, and then in New England, I try to act like a New Englander. In Iowa, I try to act like an Iowan, you know, I, and it's nobody else. Nobody really looks at me and goes, wow, that person's really acting like they're from Iowa. But I, I really, you know, to like feel myself fit in better. I try to, you know, I try to make, try to make that the case. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I mean, it's a classic saying when in Rome do as the Romans do. It's a, uh, absolutely. It's, it's a, I mean, I really, think that life's about experiences and you don't really get the full experience until you let you let yourself be open to being you know what would it be like if I was from here if I lived here um I and I, I love how you 
you know, I can relate so much to so much of what you've said today, especially about, um, you know, eventually you just weren't having fun with the party anymore. And um, I, I kind of had the same thing happen a few years ago where it was just like, this isn't fulfilling. This isn't what I want. And, uh, and I'm going to change that behavior. And it's like, and I've, I've found, I've gotten a lot out of that. And I find that my, my quote unquote career has also benefited a lot because I'm actually focused and have energy to do the things that like this really demanding career asks of you. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's fun, but it's not a party, right? Like it's, it's totally, definitely it's a job and it's a little bit more of a job for those of us that aren't on the radio, you know, where it's just like, you know, I, I, spent a lot of those years going, Oh, I can't wait to get to, you know, and I still shop at certain places and whatever, but I can't wait to get to this place and, you know, eat at this place and shop at this place. And it's a little Mm -hmm. less like that, you know, where it's more like, okay, like let's, you know, let's go find a way to lay low without. Yeah. I mean, it's what I, what better way to be an anti-capitalist than to, than to be a traveling DIY musician. You know, I mean, there's still a lot of capitalism involved with what I do, but I don't, I, I've, it's been a very long time since I had a boss be able to tell me what to wear or where to be 50 hours a week or anything like that. And that's, that's a whole different type of freedom. Real shit. Real shit. Um, well, Brooke, this is, this has been amazing. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Would you please let us know where we can find you on the internet, uh, where we can find out about your noise project coming out soon. And you have a show coming up this month that I was asked to have you plug. So, uh, yeah, you know, let us know all the things that are going on in your world. So brookpridemore.bandcamp.com for glad to be alive and my other records, jerichocaine.bandcamp.com J E R I C H O k-a-n-e dot bandcamp.com to hear the earlier releases and and my full album pimps don't commit suicide coming out very soon uh if you're only going to pick one though go to brooke pride more b-r-o-o-k-p-r-i-d-e-m-o-r-e dot bandcamp.com um and this saturday night at bar frida in ridgewood new york i will be performing with schaefer the dark lord christoph jesus and chris conde so be there December 17th, 2022. Hell yeah. Be there. I should be there. It's going to be a great night. And Brooke, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, Anytime. um, Yeah. We'll, we'll catch you sometime soon. If not Saturday, it'll be, it'll be soon. And if you want to come on down the road uh, because you got something you want to talk about or whatnot, let me know. I'd love to have you back on. Cool. Thank you so much. One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana The host asked me if I had a nickname Said my friends called me the Dirtbag King She said on the air I started giggling Hasn't had me back but now I've got this podcast Welcome to my podcast